I'd ask that you turn your Bibles to Acts 28. Acts 28. Uh, On the island of Malta, God worked through the Apostle Paul to show forth his saving power through miraculous signs done in Jesus' name. You might be thinking that there aren't any details referring to Jesus, and that's true. We are at the end of the book of Acts, and at the end of the book of Acts, these are assumed. If you look at the process, starting with Peter, and then you look at Paul, what you see is they're doing everything in the name of Jesus Christ. So the readers are familiar by this time that this is the way uh, that these servants of God go forth in the name of Christ. So when we look at what's going on, God had told the sailors, God had told Paul first through an angel, that not only would Paul go to Rome to, to bear witness to him before Caesar, that Paul would also be saved from the trial in, in, on, this, on the Mediterranean Sea where the boat was being pushed around by a storm and everybody thought they were going to die. And not only that, God told Paul that everyone on board, all 276 lives, would be spared. He also told Paul that the ship would break apart so that the weaker swimmers would be able to use some of the wood from the ship in order to drift over to the shore so that all would be saved. God told Paul that all this would happen. Paul told the crew, he told the, the centurion Julius and his men, he told everyone on board that this would happen, and it all happened according to God's design. Everybody understood that what God's what Paul's God said came true. None of them were lost. Then they arrive on the the island. The Maltese people greeted those who were shipwrecked with much kindness. They started a fire, uh, and as Paul, as the fire was burning, Paul decided to help and get some more firewood. Unbeknownst to him, there was a a viper in, in, in the, in the uh, bundle of wood that he was bringing over, and as he put it on the fire, the snake felt the heat and jumped out at him and, and fastened onto his hand. And the people were saying, they, they, they moved from a position of, of thinking that he's innocent to a position of guilt, where he might have escaped justice one time out on the sea, but here is justice prevailing as he's bitten by this viper. And now he will be... He will die from his wounds and justice will be preserved. And they're watching him and waiting, thinking, okay, he's going to drop over dead any time now. Paul never dies. And as he never dies, they they change their perspective that he's not a, a, a criminal or some kind of villain, but that he's a God in their eyes. Paul's not worried about a snake. If God preserved him in the midst of the storm, the serpent is not going to take him down either because God had told Paul, you will bear witness of me before Caesar's court. So Paul knew as soon as that snake bit him that he would not die. He's not promoting going around handling poisonous snakes. He's not saying that if you get bit by a poisonous snake, you're going to live. He's saying God had commissioned him to go to Caesar's court, and because of that, there was nothing that was going to stand in his way. God was going to clear the path for him. 
and see to it that Paul arrives there. I, I think the imagery of that last perspective of the snake biting the hand is, is so, so symbolic of how Satan is doing one last effort to try and disrupt Saul's, Paul's mission and, and show forth that God is not all-powerful, that God is not greater than sin, that God is not greater than the curse, that God is not greater than His creation, that God is not greater than the storms that you face in your life. That's what Satan is trying to promote here. That you're guilty and you're going to suffer and you're going to die for it. And God is saying, I'm greater than all this. My grace is greater than this. While Luke momentarily gives you the Maltese perspective that Paul is, is a God in their eyes, he quickly turns back to the true Christian perspective where we are servants of the Most High God, of the one who is greater than all our tribulations and fears and sin. So we see here that Paul is praying to God on behalf of the father of Publius, who is the Roman procurator, who is the governor of the island. And the father of Publius suffered dysentery. And dysentery was a feverish disease that you could have for a long time, maybe even a year or a few years now, Paul didn't just go up to the man and lay his hands on him and heal him. That's, that's one of the ways we look at this and think this is maybe just how he did it. No, he prayed. He sought God's will. That's what prayer is all about, is, is, is praying or petitioning God for things agreeable to His will. It's not simply telling God what we want. But seeking God's counsel and coming before Him and asking Him, what is agreeable with your will? What would you have me do? And this was agreeable with God's will, so He healed the man. And then you think about the other people on, on the island and, and as they're coming forth with their illnesses and diseases. And, and God is healing them through the Apostle Paul as well. You say, Pastor, is all this agreeable to God's will? And I say, Amen. It is all agreeable to God's will or He wouldn't do it. Oftentimes, I remember in my seminary days talking to Dr. Calhoun, who was the professor of Christian missions, and asking him, do you think miracles have ceased? He said, well, no. He said, but they're not as, as often as you think. He said, when you look at history, where, when you go to places where the gospel has never been, where they have not heard any peep about who Jesus is, or known the power of the Holy Spirit, only the power of darkness and wickedness. It is in those occasions that miracles take place. And God's power is revealed as greater than the power of darkness. It does two things. It is not only God's power revealed as greater than the power that the people rely upon, the, the, the demonic power that's there. It also affirms God's servant that what he is speaking is the word of God. And so in these two ways, God is affirming Paul and also showing forth his dominance, his preeminence over all creation and all powers in this land. Well, when you look at verse 11, we can't forget Luke and Aristarchus who were both Christians along with Paul on this journey. Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus along with the other survivors of the ship in Malta 
were there for three months. And that gives us perspective. I think sometimes when we read through a passage quickly, we look at it and think, well, Paul was there a few days, he prayed, a few days he healed people, and they were gone. No, this was over a three-month period of time. And if you've ever been to the mission field or if you've ever talked to missionaries, they talk about the spiritual battle that is present. You don't just go in there. It's, it's more like Jesus going to the Gadarenes with the apostles and the first two people to meet Him on the shore are not kind or friendly. They're demoniacs. They're demon-possessed. And they mean to do Him harm. And He is the one calling upon the demons within these individuals, especially the dominant one, to, be, to, to leave, to depart from them. And they won't do it. They fight Him. This is the Son of God. And they are fighting with Him. Eventually, Jesus says, you will come out. And they say, not, you know, it's not right for you to send us into the abyss before the appointed time. Send us into the pigs. And so Jesus allows it and sends them into the swine. And of course, they drive the swine down into the lake and destroy them. But the thing I want you to see here is that it's a battlefield. It's a battlefield. It's a fight. And when they are on the island of Malta, this is a battlefield, a spiritual battlefield. And you think about the prayers of Aristarchus, the prayers of Luke, the prayers of the Apostle Paul, how many of them were, were designated towards the spiritual warfare that's taking place. How many of them are, God, please have mercy on these people. God, please deliver these people from the power of evil. Please open their eyes to, to what is deceiving them. How many prayers are being presented in that case just to release these people from the power of wickedness and evil and to bring them to a point where they can see who Jesus really is? I think of missionaries who have been on the mission field for 10 to 15 years praying steadfastly every day that God would break through the stronghold of Satan, the stronghold that Satan has over the people. And maybe it's the 15th, 16th, 20th, 30th year that the breakthrough takes place. And their first convert, their first convert comes forth free. And then it grows from there, but just the power of, of God to break through and to set people free. It's a battle. And I think you uh, see in this voyage, as Paul is getting ever closer to his destination, one of the joys of, of knowing that you have people back home praying for you, caring for you, writing you letters. Uh, I think of uh, Warren being in the military. Many, some of you have been in the military. The joy of, of having some kind of communication from home that people are thinking about you and they care about you when they know that you're in the battle. How important that is. And I think the same thing is true spiritually. When you have missionaries who are out on the spiritual battlefield and they're, going, they're undergoing difficulty and trials on a daily basis, how good it is to have some communication from home, to know that people care about you and that they want to encourage you and they're praying for you. And then when you come home to see the fellowship of believers there, and to enjoy that time together where you can talk about what the Lord is doing in your life, how He's using you, you know, to minister to these people, the struggles and the difficulties uh, in the process. But just to be encouraged by the family at home, by the fellowship of all believers through whom God's grace works mightily 
in your life. And that's what's going on here. So look at the scene with me. Acts 28, verses 11 through 16. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached uh, Putioli. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we went to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Epius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Christian author Samuel Rodriguez comments, while global flights, he's talking about the journey, he says, while global flights and online booking have made travel easier in many ways, other aspects often related to safety and security still create challenges. As often as I fly, I could tell you plenty of stories about missed connections, canceled flights, wayward baggage, and unexpected layovers. No matter how advanced our technology, we still face challenges from changing weather patterns, new government policies, and human errors. Anytime we attempt to travel from point A to point B, the same is true in our spiritual lives. The metaphor of our faith being like a journey may seem cliche, he continues, but it nonetheless inspires us with new insight as we seek to follow Jesus in our daily lives. No one lived out a journey of faith that was both literal and symbolic, quite like the Apostle Paul. Called by God to share the good news to all people, not just to the Jewish people, but also to the Gentiles. He traveled on foot, on donkey, on horseback, and by ship. And as recorded in the New Testament, he faced about every obstacle imaginable and some beyond what anyone could imagine paul overcame storms shipwrecks snake bites jail cells angry mobs a stoning or two and a roman trials and his example continues to encourage each of us to persevere wherever we may be in our journey of faith or whatever we may be facing it is a given that we will encounter obstacles, conflicts, problems, and storms along the way in our lives. The battle of life rages on. But for the believer in Christ Jesus, the overwhelming reality that hindsight affords us is the recognition that we never would have stayed on the path at all and finished the course apart from the grace of God. Hebrews 12, verse 1, if you want to look there, you may. Uh, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The exhortation is to all who profess faith in Jesus Christ as the founder and perfecter of your faith. First, the exhortation is to remove or put away any burden that keeps you from being like Christ in your mind and your heart, 
your heart being that which controls your actions. Uh, remember the prophet Isaiah that we just read about who comes before a holy God and says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. What is he saying? Well, Jesus answers what he's saying in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Jesus says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What fills your heart comes out of your mouth or your actions. What fills your heart comes out of your mouth or your actions. You can test this all you want. You know that it's true. Hence, ask God to remove the burdens of your heart that keep you from following and serving Him. Paul knows that Jesus is the author of his faith. He was on the path of persecution, not being persecuted, but being the persecutor, going after whoever said they, they believed on Jesus Christ and throwing them into prison, taking away their property. He was persecuting them. It was only until Jesus opened his eyes to the prison of righteousness, self-righteousness that Paul was in, and showed him that true righteousness is in Jesus Christ alone through God's grace, that Paul learned that he was on the wrong path. Jesus was the founder of that faith, and Jesus is the perfecter of that faith as Paul continues to grow in his grace and his knowledge of the Lord through many sufferings and trials in life. This is true for us as well. Hence, the second part of the exhortation from Hebrews 12 is to persevere, patiently enduring all things through the grace of Jesus Christ. Is this not how we mature in our faith? You learn to trust Jesus more and more as He keeps you in His power, as you go through various trials and you sense the loving faithfulness of God even in the most difficult of times so that you are not overwhelmed by your circumstances, but you can even find rest in Him during these times. The great cloud reflects the millions of believers who have gone before you and are cheering you on to victory, to finish the race and not give up. The focus is on the sufficiency of God's grace through Jesus Christ. They know that no one would make it into the presence of God apart from His grace and here they are bearing witness to those who, have made, who are made right with God through their faith in Jesus Christ. The saints of old who looked forward to Jesus Christ and His salvation through His death on the cross and we who look backwards at Jesus Christ, all recognizing that our standing before God is secured through the shed blood, the righteous blood of Jesus Christ our Savior. But there's a difference between us regarding those who have gone before us and we who are still left here in this world. Uh, I'm reminded of the hymn, third verse in the hymn, For All the Saints. It goes like this, O blessed communion, fellowship divine. We feebly struggle, they in glory shine. Yet all are one in Thee, for all are Thine. Alleluia, alleluia. The thing that troubles us is they're shining in the presence of God, as the glory of God is unabated, reflected off of them, they are covered in God's glory, in God's holiness, in God's presence. We ha have that glory shielded a bit because of the sin and the curse and the work of the devil in this world. 
So we feebly struggle. We continue to put one foot in front of the other. But as we press forward, we, re- we recognize how much we need God's grace in this world. And how precious it is to meet fellow believers through whom we may build one another up in Christ. I think of, again, the missionaries who come off the field. And you start talking and and listening to them and you have the conversation and you think you've talked for 20 to 30 minutes and you look at the clock and it's been two to three hours. How the time just flits away because there's such a great joy and communion while the Holy Spirit is working in everyone who's present and God's grace is being, is being presented to all who are, who are there as they are being built up and encouraged. The journey is a journey. We look at Acts uh, 28, verse 14. They arrive at Putioli, which was the port of Rome. You know when you have to get off an exit to go towards a large city, There's usually one exit that leads right into the city. This was the port of Rome that led right into Rome. And so this was the last boat ride. And as they got off the port, as they got off the boat, there was a contingency of Christians from Rome to greet them. How joyous that would be to go through all the the trials that they have gone through. And now to have someone invite you over for a nice home-cooked meal. (laughs) You've been living on basically wheat grain or barley grain. Very little. And now you're invited over for a Sunday dinner. You know, the whole week is that way. And they supply your needs. They replenish you. Everything that you need has been restored to you. And you've also been given rest because there's a five-day journey yet to, to the Roman city proper. And God has supplied for your needs through the fellowship of the body. And as they're walking, as they're making their way, uh, we look at verse 16, that there are others who visit the Apostle Paul. Or verse 15. The brothers had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the Forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. The literal translation there is, Paul received courage. Paul received courage. He was not simply encouraged, he received courage. When you go through trials in life, it's not hard to become discouraged, wondering who's out there for me? Who's who's around to help me? Who cares about me? Who loves me? And as you go through that trial, you, you start wondering. And when, you, when the fellowship of the body comes around you and prays for you and encourages you and builds you up in your faith, you take courage. You are receiving courage as you are receiving this from the grace of God through Christ. And He is bearing you up through the fellowship of the body. How important is the body of Christ? Extremely important. That's why Paul and Peter talks about not forsaking the assembly. When we had this COVID-19 thing come in, uh, a lot of the orders were that we couldn't meet. You know, you had to stay in your homes and and you you couldn't go out and, and, and fellowship with other people. And it was hard on a lot of people. And I think it was hard on the church. 
It is such a great blessing. And I know, well, when absence makes you appreciate it more when you actually come back and you can fellowship together. And I think there's some truth to that. But it, it reminds me again of how some people get into that pattern. Once you stop meeting together, you don't restart again once that opportunity is there. And Paul is warning you, you know, the days are going to become darker. They're going to become more challenging. Don't forsake the assembly of the body because God's grace works through that. His love works through, one, through, through each other as we bear each other up and encourage each other in the faith. And Paul received courage. He was strengthened as he pressed on, knowing that judgment was soon to be. We cannot miss the impact of the grace of God working through the fellowship of believers. The impact that it has on those who are watching also and yet do not believe. Thinking of the soldiers who were with them. We sometimes think about the fellowship within our body and how, it encur- how we encourage one another. Do you ever think about how the world looks at it? When we love each other, when we share with each other, when we pray over each other, when we show kindness to each other, when we admonish each other in love. Do you you ever think about how the world looks at that? We already know that the Roman soldiers respected the Apostle Paul, but I think they saw something totally different in him. And verse 16 bears that out, that when Paul finally does arrive at Rome, he is in a house that is rented by his Christian brethren. This is God's grace again working through them. He's in a house rented by Christian brethren. People can come and leave as they please. There's only one soldier who's there watching over him. The protocol for the Roman army is you would have two so that you have accountability and no shenanigans. They trusted Paul and respected him and only one soldier was there kind of as a token. Other than that, people could come and go as they pleased in there for two years until he stood trial. This again is God's grace working through the fellowship of the body. So how is God's grace working through the fellowship of believers here at Bethel CRC? We do go through trials in this life. But far and large, at least in this nation, we are rather blessed people. Even though that may be changing, we have brothers and sisters throughout the world we're going through much greater persecution. This goes back to 1991. But I want to ask you if things are getting better or worse since then. Pastor John Piper was looking at a mission report and he saw the picture of the back of a Christian leader in Peru standing beside a widow in the town of Cacano. The caption said, Lazaro Rojas comforts a widow and helps her place her trust in Christ. Well, what's the story behind it? Lazaro Rojas was comforting and encouraging the widow in Cacano, Peru, because late in the evening on February 28th of that year, two cars pulled into the village carrying terrorists of what was called the Shining Path. A local evangelical church was having their prayer vigil at 11. The terrorists burst through the doors, opened fire, The pastor and his wife and 30 people in the village were killed. Their bodies were piled in the middle of the floor. The terrorists put gasoline on them and burned them along with the church. 
One of them was her husband. The passage of Scripture that Rojas used to comfort the survivors was Romans chapter 8, verses 36 through 37. For your sake we are put to death all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, but in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Well, Pastor, that was many years ago. Yes. Do you think it's gotten better or worse? Why is it that the preciousness of comforting and encouraging believers in our lives is felt most when the price of faith is high? Is it when you understand the true desire of evil in contrast to God's love that you can fully appreciate God's grace through Christ Jesus? The evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came into this world so that you might have everlasting life through Him. That life is not meant to be kept to yourself, but shared with others. For we, all who have been saved and are being saved through Jesus, are the body of Christ, through whom God's grace labors to preserve and show forth His love and truth to a world that desperately needs it today. May we be the body of Christ. May God's grace work through us mightily, not only to build each other up, but also to minister to a hurting world around us. Amen.